Although churches have long espoused the importance of children and the need for Sunday school programs, they often neglected to provide space for it. In the old church downtown, classes were held in the basement and any other space that could be found, including the old coal bin. It was not until 1962... Got to check. I clicked it. It's not working. Maybe, no. Well, that's, that's, there, well, (laughs) there we go. Okay, I'm not technologically smart. Um, That a dedicated space was built behind the existing building. Churches considered married ministers a bonus for the wife could organize the program for children. But Kay Greeley put an end to that idea when Roger became minister in 1956. She had a career of her own to pursue, so volunteers became responsible for the program. Recognizing that this did require some time and effort, the church provided a yearly honorarium of a few hundred dollars. In 1964, a young, dynamic woman agreed to take on the job. Pat Pratt devoted a lot of time and energy and creativity to developing a quality program for the growing number of children. The RE committee decided that a few hundred dollars per year was wholly inadequate for the job we now expected. They wanted it recognized as a professional staff position with a salary commiserate with the work and knowledge involved. Having determined that the job was roughly equivalent to a half-time position, they went to the board and asked for a salary that was equal to half the average salary of a beginning teacher in the area to be reached in equal increments over a three-year period. We like that three-year period thing. The board was shocked at such an outrageous proposal. Some of the men praised the unpaid volunteer service of their wives and were convinced the RE committee proposal was a dangerous, slippery slope. What's next, they asked. Paying musicians? (laughs) Other men viewed it more calmly, and eventually it was passed. Peoples had not interacted with other UU churches in the state, and had little to do with the newly formed UUA, but Pat had different mindset. She was instrumental in organizing a network of RE directors around the state, frequently hosting them in her home overnight. She brought district and national UURE staff to the area and organized statewide training sessions for RE teachers. We have Pat to thank for making the RE director position a professional one here at Peoples and for improving the quality of RE programs around the state. Her enthusiasm so impressed the staff in Boston that Peoples was chosen as an early test site for the new sex education curriculum being developed, AYS, about your sexuality, which has grown into the present OWL program. In 1970, we moved into this new building and took advantage of the great outdoors that we now had. 
The classrooms were unfinished, just bare cement floors and walls, which made it easy to do wonderful, messy projects, such as learning to respect how difficult it is to build birds' nests and make spider webs. Pat made a career move in 1970, and Alice Foote filled the halftime position. Our children were a part of the growing media culture that television had brought. They were used to being entertained more and were complaining that they were bored. Parents brought these complaints to Alice and the RE committee. Some of the new parents were, could see no need for classes in religion and Bible stories. They were busy rejecting the religion of their childhood and didn't want their children exposed to anything like it. So Alice and the committee developed a whole new program. Every eight weeks, third through ninth graders could choose an activity, somewhat similar to our specialty classes, except that they lasted for a much longer period of time. Choices included chess, making bread, baking, cooking, tie-dyeing, macrame, dog training, music, orienteering, hiking, working on a nature trail, indoor gardening, outdoor gardening, photography, and on and on. Pat and her husband, Eric, designed the sandcast wall that you can see in room nine today and helped the children create their original contributions to the project. The children seemed happier and the parents stopped complaining. In 1974, Alice resigned to work on a bicentennial project for the city and a new director was hired. Yep. That's me, <laughs> a much younger me, sitting with that group of children. Shortly after I became RE director, a young couple, new to the church, asked to meet with the committee. They were not happy with the program and wanted more substance. I don't mind their having ice cream every Sunday. I just want a little spinach mixed in. <laughs> Connie and Steve Ferguson, for that was the young couple, um, made me think about what we really wanted in an RE program. What really was the purpose? What were our goals? Were we just a service to entertain kids while their parents attended church? Or was there something more we could be doing? And what was that? In traditional churches, there was a creed a set of beliefs that was taught excuse me, to the children. But we were a creedless church. We didn't even have the principles, for they weren't developed until the 1980s. So I went to the high school group to learn what had had meaning to them in their years here. They definitely thought that young children should have Bible stories. They are a part of our culture and are referred to in the literature we read in high school, we would be ignorant without knowing about them. They also liked the church across the street, a class they had in sixth grade. It was fun going to all those other churches. About your sexuality got high marks, too. You don't get to really discuss those things anywhere, especially with the opposite sex. With a little prompting, they also admitted it had been fun to learn about famous UUs gave us something to identify with, a sense of pride when they came up in a history class. So we went back to much of the old curriculum, but looked for ways to update it 
and make it more interesting to this generation. Not easy when the only way I could create anything new and hand it out was to have it typed on a stencil and put on that hand-cranked ditto machine, which did all our duplicating, including Sunday bulletins and the newsletter. The day we finally got a copy machine was a day I rejoiced. <laughs> I love the UUA's new program, The Haunting House. Using the theme of houses, K through first graders learned a lot about the world and about cooperating. The year started with our first home in our mother's womb and assimilated birth experience and ended with death, my favorite unit. Every spring we would take them to a cemetery where they explored. Inevitably, someone would find the grave of a baby or a child which opened a lot of discussion. The ride back to the church was always interesting. The kids didn't come into the service every Sunday like they do now, so I was always looking for ways to bring them in so they would feel a part of this larger community. And when the UUA sent me several plays for children that could be done in a Sunday school setting, I was thrilled. Children could choose to be in a play or not, could speak lines or not, could do whatever they were comfortable with. Each play had four groups or teams who would work on their own section, discussing the meeting and developing the action before it was finally put together, which made it perfect for Sunday school classes. My favorite was The Greatest Show on Earth, which is, of course, life. A group of kids wanted to join the show, but their parents weren't sure they were ready. And so they watched as the clowns showed that humor is necessary to make it through hard times, that animal trainers showed that you had to take risks in life, and that the acrobats represented the discipline that is necessary. The next featured people being angry at the gods for the mess the world was in until they discovered they could do something about it. This is the Garden of Eden. If a child didn't want to be in a play, he or she could help with scenery. Bernard Polchek, head of the art department at Kay College, and his wife Lisa discussed the play with this group, had them draw ideas, decide on the final scenery, and then create it. It was beautiful. Another plus was that the kids worked with each other regardless of age. So you had second graders and junior hires in the same group getting to know one another. What an experience. In 1980, I had another experience. The tornado that roared through downtown Kalamazoo gave us the honor of being the first building hit. The only windows that remained were those in the RE office. Every other room had glass all over the floor. Cleaning up and figuring out what to do with the kids the following Sunday was a major challenge. When Roger announced his decision to retire in 1985, I did some serious thinking. I loved the job, but I knew I would have difficulty with some of the changes. I could hear myself saying, but we've 
always done it that way, or this is a tradition. It was time for me to step down and pursue a graduate degree in social work. Jean Calhoun had been my assistant for several years, and I knew she was interested in the job. She was hired, and the tra transition was quite smooth. But Jean's years here were anything but smooth. Oh, classes continued. A children's bell choir was developed. And always there were the high school cons. But Jean year, Jean's years from 1985 to 1997 were years of almost constant change and transition. She started with an interim, Brooks Walker, and ended with two interims, first Fred Campbell and then Oren Peterson. In between came the years of rapid growth with Davidson Lore, when the RE program was bursting at the seams. As you can see from this picture, of all those little three and four-year-olds. <clears throat> then there were the years of the troubles, as we old-timers call them, which ultimately resulted in the church splitting and Davidson leaving. Through it all, Jean had to try and maintain a stable RE program, so there was one thing that could be counted on when everything else was in turmoil. Jean moved on before the new minister, Jill McAllister, joined us in 1998, and a new RE director, Deb Wickman, was hired. <coughs> See, um, I'm Deb Wickman, and I was... Um, DRE from 1998 to 2001. And as you can see, I'm really getting younger because I don't have gray hair anymore. <laughs> Imagine how that works. Anyway, um, I, I saw this picture today for the first time in several years, and I just, um, that's how I remember, uh, that's how I remember uh, my RE years. And uh, my kids are in there, and uh, Hillary Hunt's in the first row, and I'm just, all these kids now are, um, grown up um, through college and on with their lives, and it's just, um, it's just amazing to see that. So I'm just uh, uh, I'm taken back. Anyway, um, I was DR, as you can see, for a relatively short time. I followed a long time, or Jean Calhoun, of 12 years, and then Diane, I think you've been 13 now. Yeah. So I was just a little bit of slice of uh, People's Church um, RE life. Um, Tim and I came to people like many young families um, because we wanted to find a community and we, that would help raise our children and promote values um, that we believed in and find support and challenge for us. And I think that's why many families start coming to church, coming to people's church, and um, I think that's the way it is and, and will continue to be, and it's why it's so important for us to maintain and uh, our RE prog program, our lifespan through babies through adulthood. So um, I, I continued in that transition. Jean had, I think, a lot of transition the whole time she was here, and we were winding down those three years of interims um, shortly before I was hired. And, and actually, right before I was hired, we called Jill McAllister to be our settled minister, and in fact, um, 
Jill is why I really ended up applying for the job because while she was here during her candidating week, I went to a couple of the sessions that she gave just to talk about her philosophy and what she hoped people's could be. And it was listening um, to her speak about the importance of lifespan, religious education, and intergenerational church life. And I heard her define religious life as that striving to live in right relations with self, family, community, and the world. And that really struck home to me. And it's, it's, it, it, what, it made religion make sense to me in a way it never had before. And I think I still try, that's how I try to live my life. And so that is why I decided, hey, this was a challenge that maybe I'm up for this and I could be helpful in this and I, it would be a great experience. And so I said yes and, and then I was DRE. Um, from, I think the legacy from those three years or the major things that happened, um, I'll just touch on them briefly. Um, Jill brought with her a, a, a curriculum, a pillar curriculum that, and that we adapted where it was a four-year rotating curriculum. One year, UU Heritage and History and what uni, uh, Unitarian Universalism was, uh, a year of world religions, um, a year of peace and social justice, and then a fourth year that combined Judeo-Christian heritage along with um, the interdependent web of life. And then every four years that the curriculum rotated every year, it was taught and still is taught on a developmentally appropriate age per each age group. And so every four years you get the same curriculum over it. However, it's at a deeper level every year you go through it. Um, we've been doing that ever since. Uh, I heard um, Marge talk about the old ditto machine. Well, I... I, and um, I'm sure that Diane can relate to this. I mean, I spent those three Labor Day weekends, those three years I was DRE, um, trying to get all that massive curriculum <laughs> copied because we tweaked it a little bit every year, just enough to make me have to redo the whole thing. <laughs> and, and so I think things might be going in a new direction now, and that's good. Change is, um, change is good. There's a lot of resources online now. But I think this four-year curriculum overall was a good thing. I think the kids learned a lot and things got reinforced year after year, but on a more, you know, at a, at a level that was right for them. Um, the second thing is the OWL curriculum, Our Whole Lives. Um, we did the About Your Sexuality curriculum when that came out. That was instigated here. It, and, and that, I think, um, came into being, I don't know, around 1970, in the 70s it, it started. And by, by the 90s, it, they, the UU, um, the UUA was working with the United, was working with the, um, Church of, you know, United Church of Christ to develop a sexuality curriculum called Our Whole Lives. We were one of the first, um, we gave one of the first trainings in the area to train, um, leaders. At that at that time, and we gave the first class. Um, uh, we I think in 1999, the second year I was here was the first year that we did the middle school owl. Um, my my son, my older son, was in the class, and I remember him saying to me he was also getting reproductive health at the same time at school, and he'd say. I come to church and I learn about sex and I go home to school and I learn about sex. And he, he just said, I think it's enough. But then he also said to me later, you know, I think it, not many kids really get a class like this in church that also infuses values and not just facts. And um, later on, both my kids admitted that probably it was a good thing that they were in that class. And the, the third thing, 
that I want to emphasize um, that I think is really shows today in that we have a full-time um, DRE who is doing uh, lifetime, lifespan, you know, birth to death, basically, religious programming. And, and that is, um, I t and I take no credit for this because this was just the commitment of what People's Church wanted to do at that point in time. Um, the Liberal Religious Education Association, also known, known as Lareda, um, proposed a grant program where churches could get $15,000 a year to help them um, to help them work towards further professionalizing and bringing salary and benefits up to par for religious uh, directors of religious education. So um, the the point was to improve wages, have at least a half-time position, and provide you know benefits, um, uh, you know medical insurance, vacation benefits, um, et cetera, et cetera. And People's Church applied for one of these Lareda grants, and we got the fifteen thousand dollars. And in, in, in to get that, you had to you had to come up with a three-year plan that would help you raise the level of compensation each year to to the they had the UUA had set some standards at that point, and they wanted you to get at least up to the minimum standards, and then help and and have a plan for how you were going to maintain those standards over time. So when I was hired, I was hired in at half time. The next year, I think I went up to three-quarter time, and I was three-quarters time the next, the, 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 two year, the later two years I was here. And then I think Diane was hired at, th at three-quarter, but she then was later on moved to full-time. And I, and I think um, uh, it was hoping to give churches the initial incentive to try to move forward. And um, so in Lareda describes this, and I think this is so true, strong religious education programs are vital to the health of our congregations. Not only do they provide essential religious education leadership, but a strong, vibrant ministry of religious education is often the major point of attraction for families seeking a religious and spiritual home. And I know that was the case for me and our family, and I think that is still the case for many, many people coming on here. And uh, we did apply for that grant, we got it, and Peoples has continued to support religious education, and I think that is so important, and we need to keep... Um, we, we need to remind ourselves of that. Um, so, uh, you know, religious educators are not on the fast track or the slow track to be wealthy, but I think at least we have a more fair uh, situation now than we did before. Um, and I think the value of all of this hit home to me last week when I was watching our um, coming-of-age program, and I realized that some of the kids, I remember when they were born, I was DRE then, um, and, and the kids in the current high school class, some of those were toddlers when I was DRE. And I just was so impressed last week um, by the depth and the articulateness and the variety in the beliefs of our, of our young people. And this is what religious education is all about. It's been a whole generation since I was DRE. And it's just, they're so fabulous. And... Um, and we need to keep providing these kinds of services as we are. Well, I'm supposed to click pictures, I guess. I have two more. Let's see. Next, is it next? Oh, yes, and that's actually my son. I didn't choose these pictures, so um, I have no... That's one of the intergenerational services. And 
that's one of the first flower communions. Well, we did, well, we've been on for years, but we were at the flower communion. That's the Smallcomb twins. So, anyways, thank you. When I first started out as um, Director of Religious Education in 2001, it was a three-quarter time position, and so I was also teaching at Western Michigan University to supplement my income as a single parent. And what I noticed is that there were a lot of campus group, a lot of groups on campus, a lot of Christian groups on campus that would meet frequently. Um, but I remembered at that time in my life that I was re-examining the Christian beliefs that I grew up with and searching for something different. And I, I would come back to Jill and say, my gosh, we need to have a group on campus because this is the time when people are questioning and, and our Unitarian Universalism can give us an opportunity to question without being told there's only one way. So I started a young adult ministry and campus group at that time. And um, it's been going on ever since. This is the 13th year. And the best part about that is that the, the young adults started a conference that has met every single Martin Luther King weekend for the past 12 years at People's Church. And it's the only young adult event in our entire region and district that's, that we have hosted. And, and I've been the impetus to keep that going every year. So that's um, one of the things that has started under my leadership that I feel really good about. And this is a, a picture of our young, some of our young adults today that attend um, our group every other Thursday night and um, are active members in our congregation. And I think um, our young people, young adults, bring a lot to our congregation, and I'm, I'm grateful that we have a place that's geared towards them. Uh, we also had a lot of intergenerational services over my tenure. I was very ambitious in the beginning. This was my, my first intergenerational service when I had a lot of energy and creativity. And this was just the early morning rehearsal where I wrote an entire Dr. Seuss-type play about fairness and people getting along, even if they were different colors, primary colors, that is. Um, but I think it's really important to have uh, youth involved in the service and um, speaking their minds and sharing their values as a part of it as well. Um, because before I was uh, a DRE, I was a naturalist at the Nature Center, and my degree is in environmental education. One of the passions that I brought here was, the, and because my spirituality is often fed when I'm in the, in the woods, I wanted to create opportunities for children to be in, in the forest and um, in nature. So I created the Peace in Nature Camp. Um, which has continued very well under the helm of Jeff Kirkwood, and it continues to this day, and it, it fills up before the registration deadline every year with, with 30 kids to have a whole week where they come to church and they live out our values and they learn about nature and they have a lot of fun together. So that's a, um, another program that I started that I feel has been um, really, really valuable and enhanced. Um, religious education at People's Church in a different way. The kids spend more hours together in that one week than they do every Sunday morning the entire year for contact time. Um, OWL is a program that started um, with AYS has been going on for, you know, in the early 70s, and then it became Our Whole Lives. But um, during my tenure, it expanded, and it really became Our Whole Lives. It wasn't just for junior high. So we have since gotten people trained and offer every other year kindergarten, first grade owl, fourth through sixth grade owl. 
seventh through ninth grade owl, tenth through twelfth grade owl, young adult owl, and adult owl. So there's on rotating basis. We were the first church in the district that actually offered every um, curriculum that they offer. We offer here at church, and we just got two new people trained for to teach young adult owl in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. So we should be offering that again soon. So. And in Marge's day, they did what we call, similar to what we call specialty classes today. And um, in Deb's day, then we went and through, we've done curriculum with the pillar program. But when I first started, parents would say to me, you know, one of my challenges is that I can't get my kids to want to come to church. So we went to the kids and we said, what do you want to do? And they said, we want to do fun things together. So we created the specialty classes, which is something that's actually taking place at this very moment. It's been one of the most popular programs. And so the first Sunday of every month, kids get together in different age groups um, from kindergarten through sixth grade, and they do a wide variety of activities, whatever the adults in the congregation decide they want to offer, what are their passions or their gifts that they want to share. It gives our RE teachers a break and a chance to come to church, and it allows other adults and kids to be in a um, age group. They're not just with their grade. They're with a whole different age group and with different adults in the congregation, and they have a lot of fun together. So, and the th- yeah, the, this is a great picture of Bill and... and um, Ian, so I love that it brings different members of the congregation together in ways that they wouldn't be brought together without those opportunities. Um, social justice projects are very important, and every um, year the RE program organizes several for our young people to participate in. I think this is the, whether it's um, serving lunch at Ministry with Community or volunteering at the SPCA, I think it's so important to to have them opportunities to live out the values that we're talking about and learning about in our RE classes um, in real life. And in um, the first weekend in May, we're going to do an uh, all-church social justice project to go to Circle Pines and help do a cleanup day on the trails and um, get everyone together to do a work project, which I think builds intergenerational connections as well as provides service. Because we don't have an opportunity for... Um, we, we're not giving kids creeds to memorize and regurgitate back to us um, in their confirmation classes. We create a coming-of-age program to give them the opportunity and the, and the structure to discern what are their deepest held values and beliefs and to share those um, with each other and with the congregation. And if you were here last Sunday, uh, we had 14 ninth graders get up and share their faith statements with the congregation Um, as they are discerning what are our beliefs, what do we believe, what's important to us, what are my deepest held values, how can I live those in the world so that I can be my best self. So our coming-of-age program, I started, um, I don't know how long ago, but it's going great guns right now. It's one of our most, one of our big and very popular programs. Um, Another thing is when parents ask, you know, how do I get my kid to want to come to church? One of the things that we came up with that time was, let's create spaces that are designed just for kids. So we created the kids' room, and we put couches in, and uh, some movies, and toys, and games, and opportunities for places. If their parents had to come early or stay late for meetings, they had a place to go that looked like it was designed just for them. It wasn't their parents' church. It was their church. And these boys just went through our middle school OWL program now, and they're as big, you know, bigger and tight because they've developed that, the fun friendships that they've had them. And now the problem parents come to me and complain, I can't ever get my kid to want to leave church. <laughs> We're trying to go. And, you know, I figure that's a sign of success and that's your problem. <laughs> I'm not going to try and fix that one. 
Our RE classes have grown substantially. When I first started, the average size was about 32 kids a week, and we now have around 80 kids a week. We have about 150 kids registered in our program. Um, we've continued with the pillar curriculum that Jill brought and um, Deb worked on, and we've tried to make it interactive and fun, and so kids have an opportunity to have a safe place to come and share their deepest joys and concerns, where they have an opportunity for growth, for learning, um, and, and to have a lot of fun together and to have some um, fun activities. So it's, it's been very successful. We used to have um, small age groupings of kids, and now most of our classes are like one class just for first grade and one class just for second grade. I mean, we've continued to grow. And the new addition to our building the last few years has been, was phenomenal because we were cramped in with, no, with our kids um, packed in in every available space, and now we have some room to be able to have individual classes and room for, for more growth. Um, of course, if you're going to more than double the size of your kids, you have to more than double the size of your teachers. So we now have over 100 volunteers in our, in our religious education program. And this is an, uh, uh, um, Julie Ginn, who spoke the chalice lighting words, has the braids and the red in the front. So this is an old picture of an um, RE volunteer appreciation party that we did in the past, and we continue to do those today to honor our volunteers. If you stay after church on the 27th, we'll have a, a big party to honor and recognize all the people that help make a program this size um, continue. How do you get kids to want to come to church? You want them to have fun. And so a long time ago, an RE volunteer came to me and said, you know, I come here and I do all these youth sleepovers, and um, I go to youth cons, and my elementary kids are saying, why don't we ever get to spend the night at church, Mom? So we created the elementary sleepover, which has been one of the most popular things that we've created, because the church becomes the kids' own. They get to find all the secret places and the fun places to hide and hang out and use the whole thing as a track, which they love to do when you build a round building and tell kids, don't run, so they get a chance where they can run and, and make it their own. This is an elementary sleepover from many years ago. This is kids that are grown and in our high school group now. Um, it helps to develop deeper bonds. It makes kids really want to be here. And at the very front is my son. So this is a, probably at least 10 years ago. And part of the reason you can tell the Diane Melvin legacy is by my dog. So this was my old dog, Ellie, way back in the day, who has since passed. And of course, there's uh, the Cody era, who's here with Pearl, who's standing on the side of love. Um, let me go forward now. So a lot of RE directors often say to me, you know, I have a lot of kids in my elementary RE program, but how do you keep them as youth? How do you keep them in junior high and high school? By the time they hit middle school, their parents can leave them home alone. So how do you get them to want to come then? And I had twofold answer to that. One is a group of kids here that were, when they were, this is in our high school group, when they were in middle school, we had them, um, I had them, recruited them to be youth leaders for a middle school con is what they're doing there. And so any way you can encourage leadership development in them is really um, helpful. But the key answer to my question is always send them to middle, Mystic Lake. This is a group of kids that we took to Mystic Lake this fall. Um, and these are UU youth from all around Michigan that gather together for a fun weekend at a YMCA camp. 
and um, enjoy the fun YMCA camp activities like fishing and ropes courses, but they're meeting other UU kids and they're making those connections. And when they come back from Mystic Lake, this is the basic uh, connection that they feel. So this is our high school group now, back when they came back from Mystic Lake in middle school, and I said, oh, here, let me get a picture of you guys. <laughs> you didn't have to say, get closer, because they were right there. They're totally connected with each other, and this group of kids felt like, these are my friends. These are my church friends that I come to see, and I want to be here with them. No kid will ever say, I want to go to church. Well, there are a few who'll say, I want to go and learn about the curriculum. But they want to go because they want to see their friends. And if they, you can get them there that way, then they keep coming. And then this is our high school group um, a few years ago, and we've had just enormous growth in our middle school and high school programs, which I felt really good about. Um, and they've hosted a lot of youth conferences here, and they, they're very active in the district. One of our youth now is on the district steering committee. Um, so they're very involved in leadership opportunities as well as um, the camaraderie that they share. Um, in addition to, um, this is a picture of, of Manny and Kiernan and, and Gavin last fall at Mystic Lake doing some fishing, which is one of my favorite pictures. We're going to leave that up there. A lot of spiritual sustenance can be found when fishing, especially on a beautiful, beautiful day like that. So while I'd really emphasize the program that we have for children and youth, um, I also believe that lifespan religious education for adults is also very important. And we have a wide variety of programs for adults, which are often way underutilized. Um, <coughs> but it, it's a very valuable program. I think that it's important to have religious lifespan religious education for all ages because it gives us time in our lives where we can consciously focus on seeking truth, and understanding life and making meaning out of what is happening. The sacred community can also provide support for us, for each other, while we're all striving to try to live in right relations, to be our best selves with the earth, with each other, with ourselves. I feel it is so important to have all ages involved in the process of religious growth and learning. And I believe that faith development should be an ongoing and active component of any healthy religious life throughout the lifespan. This is especially true during times of change and transition that we at People's Church are experiencing. Such times offer different opportunities for people to step into leadership roles to help provide an anchor at times when the boat may feel a bit unsteady. Change is hard, and I think that we need to be there for each other in openness and in honesty and in love through the challenging times. I hope that the legacy of the Diane Melvin era of RE at People's Church has to do with intentionally creating safe, honest, and genuine spaces for all ages of people to journey the religious life together. I want our children, our youth, and our adults to journey to uh, feel like when they come to People's Church, they can feel safe and we can be our genuine selves. Striving to live in right relations is hard work in today's world, and we need the support of each other to help us on this journey. In chalice circles, which are small group ministry circles, the goal is for each person to have an opportunity to share their truth while the other members of the circle are practicing with deep listening and affirming. 
We have a chalice circle that's open next Sunday from 1 to 3, if anyone is interested in going to that. We have a discussion group that meets every other, other, every other Saturday. And facing life, facing death. We have a new women's circle beginning next Sunday from 5 to 7 um, that's a potluck that anyone is invited to. And ongoing this whole month are our um, cottage conversations that we're trying to encourage everyone to attend. And the whole girl, goal is just to have fellowship with one another in, in times when it feels like the sand may be shifting under our feet in this community. The more we can be together, the more we can deepen our connections with one another when times feel uneasy, the easier it will be to endure these times and to know that it's temporary. The heart of who we are and what we do at People's Church shines through the ages. And even though our church is going through many changes right now, it's the community of people and the relationships with one another that make up the heart of who we are. And we're here for the long haul. May that offer us some comfort as we continue the journey. And may we remember to let all we do be done in love. Thank you. the other DREs to please come up on the stage and we want to take a moment to, to honor this wonderful, powerful group of women.